Gold? Who sees gold? I see nothing but air. Hello, and welcome back to the Decrypting Crypto podcast. I am Austin Knight, and I am happily today joined by my co-host, Matthew Halsbarby. Hello to you, Austin. We have a very exciting slate of stories to discuss. Um, no least to begin with, one around quantum computing, uh, which is something that has been, I guess, on the fringes of discussion around blockchain for for quite some time and has now been once again catapulted into the major news outlets across the world. And the reason for this is around still yet to be confirmed reports that, uh, but I, I think we can probably gather this is the case, is that researchers at Google have managed to utilize uh, quantum computing. And a, a very brief overview, and we can jump into the implications. And this was, again... Uh, IBM made some big steps a couple of years back in quantum computing. Uh, there are countless companies focused on making steps on a tech level with quantum computing. Huge and governments happens. as well. And, and governments. Like I said, companies. Uh, <laughs> uh, and so the, the TLDR here around what's happened is, and there's a really good Economist article that I think summarizes this well, and we'll share this out in the show notes, but... Basically, it was a it was a single purpose machine, um, and what it managed to do, and I think this is where it it, it is pretty awesome. Um, it it managed to compute uh, an incredibly highly complex computation in three minutes. Now, if you compare that to uh, that the very same computation, it would take the world's most powerful classical supercomputer i.e a non-quantum computer around ten thousand years to complete that is quite the technological step um <laughs> it's pretty incredible and here's why it's important right and why why we're going to discuss this with uh with you all today is because quantum quantum computing right when it's when it's refined and built for a very specific purpose um and and most of the time and from a lot of futurists and technologists they say that quantum computing isn't necessarily going to just be a general purpose set of computing it's going to be um in the same way that a lot of um asic mining equipment is like a specific asic chipsets built for one specific purpose i think quantum computing is going to be a somewhat comparable type thing but um assuming we see much much further developments in the space we are by no means uh there yet quantum computing should be able to crack the the public key cryptography which is um the elliptic curve digital signature algorithm ECDSA for short, which is a bit of a mouthful. Surprised I was actually able to read that correctly. Um, which is actually used in most like distributed ledger technologies, most blockchains, including nearly all of the largest by market cap, most notably Bitcoin. And, th and it's worth calling out, this is the part of the technology in blockchain that kind of makes them quote unquote unhackable as uh, as many people will claim um but in a matter of minutes or maybe even seconds uh these this this algorithm will be rendered useless 
And in, in the example of the Bitcoin blockchain, right, if we get to the level of, um, I guess, quantum supremacy that's needed to be able to do this, the an attacker would be able to completely steal funds from anyone's Bitcoin wallet, assuming all they need is their public key. And I think I read somewhere that around 36% of all Bitcoin uh, users have exposed their public key somewhere. And I mean, all you need to do is look through the, the, the public ledger and you'll see all those. Yeah. This is a pretty big deal, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I think it has some huge implications for um, blockchain technology, especially because it's decentralized. Um, really, right, right now, a lot of conversation that's happening is like, you know, where are we along this time horizon of, you know, getting to a state where quantum technology could pose a legitimate threat to uh, blockchain and to many, many, many other technologies. This is much bigger than blockchain, albeit a bit unique with blockchain because of the decentralized nature. So I think that a follow-on question that, that happens a lot here is like, well, you know, if this is a threat to blockchain, then couldn't it theoretically be a threat to like traditional financial institutions as well, like banks, or what about like the rest of the internet? And and it's true um, that quantum computing is, will pose a threat to banks and to the rest of the internet. But what's interesting, an interesting difference between the blockchain case and the uh, traditional financial institution case is that blockchain is they're mostly decentralized systems so um, banks for example aren't going to face a lot of the crucial issues that decentralized blockchains would like they can centrally change their cryptography without compliance of their users and all of this can be done basically in the background behind a user interface um, they, they the banks already have your keys so they can upgrade their systems later without you even really noticing um, and of course the the web and the internet at large is is actually a, a, a bunch of entities are working right now on you know creating post quantum security, um, but yeah, this this little device that sits in my in my pocket every day that sometimes makes a makes a sound and has a little apple written on it that one's going to probably get torn to pieces by <laughs> quantum <laughs> quantum uh, computing. But the beauty of that right is like you say, Apple can just push a a fix like i mean it's not going to be that easy but they they have full control this is centralized they 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 don't have to get the buy-in from all of their users to push a fix here yeah talk about bitcoin not only do we need to get consensus on changes and do what often seems like the impossible and get everyone on the bitcoin core team and wider community to agree on something um but we we also kind of will see pretty much like the fabric of decentralization and blockchain questioned, I think, if and more importantly, when this time arises. Yeah, yeah. It's really a matter of when. And you're seeing estimates from like, oh, it could be a, a like extreme estimates are like it could be a few months to it could be two years to over 30 years. It's very similar to the uh, conundrum around AI uh, technology. 
right now, but I think that it's fair to say that we're still a pretty long way from having quantum computing being powerful enough to crack the ECDSA, the technology that, that secures the blockchain. Um, the computer would have to be able to run Shor's algorithm. And what we're seeing popping up in the news right now and in research papers is, is really nowhere near that level. So the uh, a lot of the discussion right now is around quantum supremacy, which um, is really just a term that describes the ability of quantum computing devices to solve some specific, but as Matt said, very limited in scope problem that normal computers just practically cannot do. But this is the precursor to something called quantum advantage, where the problems become useful beyond just demonstrating that they can be solved. Um, mm. And that's that's really what I think people are paying a lot of attention to, is like right now, quantum supremacy is looking at saying, hey, can we create a computer that can solve this very, very, very ridiculously difficult equation. Um, but that once that thing is created, that's all that it can do. Uh, it's right. very, very narrow in scope. Uh, quantum advantage looks beyond that. Uh, and, and then still, e even, even once quantum computing becomes a... Um, a legitimate reality, uh, the scope is still going to be fairly limited, but what, there's a, a lot of incentive to create those systems that are limited in scope. For example, um, being able to break the blockchain and get access to, uh, to to overcome the elliptic curve digital signature algorithm and get access to public keys could be a very, very lucrative, lucrative. Um, <laughs> very much. Yes, endeavor. So. Uh, it's it's a, a big deal, and the the result of this is that uh, to counter this threat, blockchains are now thinking about implementing changes to become quantum resistant. Um, well, some some already claim at least to be quantum resistant, right? right and yeah, I, I think we we talked about this maybe series two, series one with, um, and this is usually within. Uh, we say we say blockchains. I would say more distributed ledger technologies, right? Because most of the uh, DLT projects that are claiming to either be like quantum resistant, quantum proof, all of these um, words that are being banded around, sometimes in white papers, more often just in press. Uh, they're actually directed acyclic graphs, so DAGs, which we've talked a little bit around before, which are very much different to blockchains but have a, a similar outcome on a distributed ledger level uh one of which is iota right they claim they have their dag which is called the tangle as being quantum proof but i i think it's been fairly well documented in the wider i say the wider press the narrow cryptocurrency press the <laughs> uh, <laughs> i think a lot of these claims are coming from a good place and there is some level of tech to back them but the problem is which it seems that we're talking a lot about here is no one truly knows where quantum computing yeah. is going to go yeah and you can't predict what you do not know yet at such a early early stage yes that that's it yeah it's it's totally uh, many of the attempts right now are speculative because we're building 
technology to counteract technology that hasn't been built and thereby cannot be fully understood yet. Uh, but I would say that the fact that they're at least taking steps forward is a pretty good thing. Um, and it's something that the wider crypto space definitely needs to do. So uh, moving moving in the right direction. And like we said, yeah, this is much bigger than crypto too. So quantum computing, interesting thing to be paying attention to right now. Definitely, definitely. I think it's super interesting outside of blockchain to think about quantum computing overall. It's got far-reaching implications way, way beyond blockchain. And it's like the hot thing alongside AI, et cetera, et cetera, right now in terms of getting investment. Um, it's not going to be the last we talk about this. I imagine in particular over the next five to 10 years, as we see more and more advances, which I, I'm i going to kind of go on record and say that's going to pretty much happen every single year now, we're going to see something come out. Um, the Absolutely, there has to be developments in on the blockchain level, on consumer technology level, to start adapting preemptively to the threat that this technology poses um, when used as a bad actor. Um so, yeah, yep. super interesting. Yeah. On to another interesting story, a bit of an update to something that we have spoken to in the past. Uh, the Chinese government has recently said that they have, quote, no timetable for the launch of their digital currency. That's cons uh, that's according to the central bank governors. So we discussed this a couple of episodes ago where it seemed that the People's Bank of China, the PBOC, was about to launch their new digital currency. And we sort of discussed how this uh, was juxtaposed to Libra and all of the stuff that, that's happening with Facebook around Libra. And what's interesting is that now, at the time it didn't seem like they were in much of a rush, um, but now it seems like they're definitely in, in no rush to do this. The PBOC <laughs> head, Yi Gang, has said that uh, a series of regulatory issues need to be addressed before Beijing can issue sovereign digital currency, which I think falls right in line with the regulatory issues that Facebook and Libra are facing right now. And I'm sure that uh, folks in China are paying attention to that. At a recent I think it falls in... It falls in nicely, though, like, you, uh, th this is kind of perfect timing for validating something you made a good point about to, uh, when we were when we were ta talking two episodes ago. China doesn't take risks where they can lose, right? Yes. And, like, you made that point and we were talking through this. It seems like from some of the things that Yi Gang is, is saying that they feel like there's too much risk of, of loss here. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're you're right on point there. Um, and I, I think it's also clear in the statements that they've said, they, they said that it requires further research, testing, trials, assessments, and risk prevention. Um, <laughs> <laughs> quote, in particular, if the digital currency involves cross-border use, it will involve a series of regulatory issues regarding anti-money laundering, anti-terrorism financing, and anti-tax evasion, as well as KYC protocols. Uh, that mm -hmm. is a quote from Yi Gang. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I, th they're definitely thinking about exactly the same things that Libra are facing. And I have to agree with you, Matt, and agree with my former self that I think that there, there has been a, a risk assessment on part of the People's Bank of China, and they found that there is risk that they could lose face here. And so um, 
they're holding off for now. And I, I think that makes sense. There's, there's not really strong incentive for the PBOC to be the first in this space um, to, to by any stretch to launch a, a currency like this, especially if their primary motivation is having control over a currency um, primarily within their own borders. Uh, they have the power to do that at a later date. So yeah, interesting update to a story that uh, was unfolding over the course of the last couple episodes. Yeah, I did think it was interesting them specifically call out cross-border usage yes. um, of the, the cryptocurrency. I uh, while, while I always thought that that would be the case, um, I didn't think that they would talk that much about it. So it's going to be interesting to see how that develops, uh, I think, with the political climate in, in China, with a lot of the protests happening uh, also in Hong Kong right now. They will definitely not be looking for anything that risks um, devaluing the power and ability to execute on high uh, impact politically driven projects so we'll keep keep an eye on this one um and yeah i'm sure this will not be the last we hear of this project maybe maybe by the next episode there will be in a rush all of a sudden uh so we'll soon see <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um <clears throat> so from one thing about china uh, to another uh, news story with a link into China, uh, most notably through the the company Tencent, um, who is behind the messaging app WeChat. They backed a company with fifty million dollars of investment back in twenty fifteen called Kick, and Kick has been true to its name, uh, kicked to the side. Some would say, <laughs> uh, <laughs> "Oh no!" <laughs> oh, he did it. He did it. It was. It was all on the spot there. Uh, and the reason why I say this, so Kick is a rival messaging app, and it was often dubbed as like the uh, the WeChat of the West, I think I saw in some mm -hmm. articles. It was uh, in there to go up head-to-head -head with Facebook. Uh, me and you, Austin, were talking a little bit about Kick, and they have been in a war with uh, the SEC. And the little bit of background into that is basically in September 2017, Kick uh, launched an ICO, uh, and this was to promote and distribute and sell uh, their KIN cryptocurrency, K-I-N. And the the idea behind the cryptocurrency, they say, is it will underpin basically an ecosystem of digital services. This includes everything from like chat apps, in-game purchases, etc. And they sold off one trillion tokens, which was actually a tenth of the total supply at the time, raising uh, $50 million. That was on top of $50 million it raised in an earlier pre-sale from the investors that we just talked about. Um, now there's been another twist to the story, hasn't there? Yeah, so back in June of 2019, the SEC sued KIPP for failing to register what they felt was a $100 million securities offering. And the commission claimed that KIPP had pushed the token sale as a speculative investment and had engineered a pivot to the cryptocurrency as a pretext to salvage its ailing business. Um, <laughs> interestingly, KIPP ended up replying line by line to the claims that the SEC had made. Um, I won't go into like huge detail about their reply, but uh, they basically refuted every single claim that the SEC <laughs> made. 
It was an unprecedented and extremely aggressive move. This was a couple months ago that signaled that they're not going to go down without a hard fight. They're not going to back down. And we've seen another step deeper into that direction, which this this really, really surprised me to see. Uh, the CEO of Kick has announced that the CEO, Ted, Ted Livingston, um, that they they're going to be shutting down their 300 million user strong messaging app so that they can fund the war with Kick. Um, so it's crazy. Yeah, this crazy. is this is a huge a, a huge commitment. Basically, uh, in a Medium post, Ted Livingston said that quote the fight has already cost Kick five million dollars, as well as losing its potential new business. Uh, while we set up a $5 million fund to help keep fighting the SEC in this case, it was not enough. Instead, we are closing down the Kick app, cutting our headcount from 100 to just 19 staff, and focusing fully on making Kin succeed. This is a bold move. Yes. <laughs> possibly the boldest of bold moves i've ever heard it's it's worth mentioning as well that uh so yeah they they spent five million dollars as you mentioned austin that five million dollar extra fund was like a uh like a a crowdfunded support to fight the sec that's all gone like what is happening i just can't believe that um that the likes of their institutional investors, Tencent in particular, and co, are all kind of on board with this. It, it it's it's crazy. Ted Ted Livingston also said in that same Medium post, "Together, these changes will drop our burn rate by eighty five percent, putting us in a position to get through the SEC trial with the resources we have." No shit, it will drop your burn rate by eighty five percent. You're getting rid of more than eighty five percent of your entire business. Right. It, yeah. Yeah. It's... I think it's a strong signal that they're very serious about this fight. Um, Matt, you and I were talking about this a, a little bit prior to recording, and I think that the, the, the way that I feel about this and the way I felt about it for quite some time is that clearly they are very principled in mm. um, their approach with Kin. They, they believe in the technology. But I also think that this is a little bit of an emotional battle. Um, that's just how I'm reading it. Like going from the line by line reply to the SEC, which uh, I understand from a legal perspective is a legitimate strategy, but it also felt to me maybe a little bit, you know, aggressive and excessive and done out of emotion, which is okay. I understand like when you're building a technology that you truly believe in, it's going to be an emotional battle. And mm. um, that has led them to, to do some drastic things. I mean, it, think about it. Kick is, a, I think Kick is a household name, has yep. 300 million users in the app. And um, they've decided to shut it down because they believe in the fight, the, uh, the wanting to win the, the battle that they're fighting right now. Something that really stood out to me, though, is that if you go to the Kin website, kin.org, just scroll down a little bit. They have this section. It's uh, labeled monthly active spenders, and it's a chart that is counting how many users 
have committed at least one spend over the last 30 days on the Kin network. And if you see the breakdown by app, the number one app is Kick with uh, 248,000 monthly active spenders. So that feels to me uh, like uh, thinking about their big strategy and you look at like what WeChat is doing with, you know, the super app and integrating payments in the app. And then we've talked a bunch about Libra and how that can be used to integrate payments into Facebook's suite of apps. Uh, I was seeing a similar strategy here with Kick. Yeah. Like we're, we have Kin that's going to be our payment vehicle from within our app. But now that Kick is getting shut down, uh, and I think it's pretty clear that that could deal a huge blow to Kin uh, by the fact that it's their number one uh contributor of monthly active spenders, it is an interesting strategy to me. And it shows that I think they're, they're pretty much saying, you know, we're, we're going all in on yeah. fighting the SEC for this currency. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like kin in this case, right? It's the cart, but they've just killed the horse, which was kick. And <laughs> like, the, the, it's, it, it is a really big decision. I, I think as well, right. Um, and, and again, we're, we're both just reading between the lines and going on what we've, we've read extensively and, and what's been reported in the press and also what's come from, uh, from the, the CEO, um, at this point, but it feels like on my side, it was either the SEC is going to sue us for this hundred million dollars and there's probably going to be even more on top of that and all the legal fees and everything else that comes with it it will kill our cryptocurrency project which i imagine they employed a significant amount of people around to build etc and it's going to impact the growth of of kick now we either do that and we go down that route and it probably we completely change the vision of our company and we we may end up with like some big residual impact on our existing company's growth or you know what we say we'd we'd rather die than die that way mm -hmm. and we'll just go with the boldest move possible and go all in on on this i i, I would love to say that this can work out for them assuming that they're in the right um but i i would worry that they're a little too early for yeah i mean i mean how many cryptocurrency projects are truly like uh that are platform agnostic like this as in they mm -hmm. are outside of their own super app as you mentioned austin how many are thriving right now in terms of generating revenue etc not many yeah and the, the question comes if they're spending all of their their fees to to battle the sec which is no mean feat Mm -hmm. um how long can they they go on and will institutional investors and uh other vcs continue to fund that their project uh into the future so i i think there's there's a lot of challenges ahead for for kin but it's i mean it is like you say it, it's it's going to be a pretty landmark uh case to to follow yeah absolutely now, speaking of Libra, <laughs> uh, yeah. a, a bit of a, a development around Libra. So according to German news outlet Der Spiegel, uh, which saw a letter that Facebook sent to a German legislator, Facebook's plan is apparently for the dollar to make up about half of their reserve basket 
for uh, Libra and the euro to make up 18%, the yen to make up 14%, the British pound to make up 11%, and the Singapore dollar to make up 7%. Uh, this is interesting because prior to this, we really didn't know what the basket of, of currencies that would make up the reserve would be comprised of. And so this is the first kind of look into that. Like, Big bet uh, with the dollar making up half of it. And then I think fairly predictably euro, yen, pound, Singapore dollar um, from there. Yeah, well, I mean, the the British pound is going to start fluctuating like Bitcoin soon anyway. So at least it'll uh, be on brand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 11% maybe would have been a bit higher in the past. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and it's worth, it's worth mentioning here. This is still um, allegedly... Uh, I mean, Der Spiegel is a pretty well-known uh, German news outlet, um, but this is this is interesting. This is the first even uh, real rumor, uh, if you like, that we've we've heard around the Libra Reserve basket. If if you're not that familiar with the Libra project, we did at the start of this season a real deep dive episode into everything about Libra, which I would recommend you go back and listen to. But for those of our loyal listeners, of course, <laughs> nearly all of you listening to this episode will have dived through that one. You'll know what we're talking about. Uh, but it is interesting to see that breakdown. I have to admit, I was kind of surprised to see the USD making up like 50% of the reserve basket. I actually thought they would hedge uh, away from uh, being so reliant on USD, yeah, assuming this, sense, is, yeah. this is correct. Um, I thought there would probably be more on the euro, uh, if I was honest, and just actually more currencies involved uh -huh. mm -hmm. uh, than, than anything else. But, I mean, I'm no master economist. Uh, this must be an incredibly challenging thing to think through and i haven't seen an official response yet from facebook on this which i don't know if we can read much into that uh, at this stage but i'm sure we're or at least from the libra association should i say but i'm sure there's going to be further developments and probably some official statements coming out shortly yeah. around all of this matt do we know like can has there been any information that's come out around whether the reserve basket, like the makeup, the composition of the reserve basket could change over time? Is that something that could be adjusted, for example, if down the line they feel that the, oh, okay, actually the British pound is fairly stable and we're okay with it, but the dollar is now less stable and maybe it shouldn't mm. make up 50% of this basket? Or is this something that's set in stone? I think that in the same way that Kick have been incredibly bold, the Libra <laughs> Association have been incredibly vague. Uh, so uh, the I think that they've opened themselves up to doing whatever the hell they want at right. this point. Um, but I I would imagine that will be the case. I think the official kind of line was that more details will follow, but there will be like uh, a well documented like framework that's outlined, and it will be transparent. I I can't imagine they'd even be able to keep that rigid because let's even just say like the Eurozone crashes um, when the inevitable global recession or at least the yeah. um, the Western like recession happens, right. um, th there's going to have to be a response there. So the fact that they are pegging to fiat currencies, I mean, surely there's going to have to be changes to what extent and what circumstances will define that. I'm not sure, and I think we'll learn a bit more as we learn more about the governance around Libra. But it's going to be it's going to be interesting, and it's cool that we're starting to get some of these 
bits of information drip fed out because I think this is the last missing piece of the puzzle for us to understand the project in more detail. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, this is all we've got time for today. A bunch of interesting developments and we'll be keeping track of all of the updates around all of these projects and more so. Make sure you join us next week for another episode of the Decrypting Crypto podcast. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and want to show your appreciation to myself and Matt, give us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting platform. We really appreciate that. You can also visit thecoinoffering.com to learn more about cryptocurrencies, get caught up on some news, see how your currency is performing. And you can follow us on Twitter at The Coin Offering, as well as email us at podcast at thecoinoffering.com if you'd like to get in touch. The contents of the Decrypting Crypto podcast should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. Please do your own due diligence before making any investment, cryptocurrency or otherwise.